Well, this past week as a part of our shared 91-week journey, we read the faith-affirming culmination of the Old Testament story of Esther and Mordecai. And if your confidence in the sovereignty of God wasn't juiced by that story, you just weren't paying attention. Safe to say the story of Esther and Mordecai is one where the sum is greater than the individual parts. I say that because unlike the Psalms, the Gospels, the New Testament epistles, the book of Esther doesn't offer a lot of memorable, readily quotable verses that are capable of making an impression entirely on their own. It just doesn't provide a lot of refrigerator magnet material. The book of Nehemiah was similar because it too is a historical book, but Nehemiah at least gave us the joy of the Lord is your strength. Esther doesn't give us any such verse. In addition, the book of Esther contains no physical miracles. No manna from heaven, no sun standing still, no parting of waters, no child born to a man who had reached the century mark. In the case of Esther, the whole story is a miracle. And its impact owes to the sense of God's invisible hand. God's invisible hand at work behind the scenes, influencing the decisions of a self-important ruler, rigging the outcome of a beauty contest, disrupting a king's sleep, arranging dinner parties, and leading hatred into a trap that it had set for others. With each chapter of the book of Esther, the sense of God's sovereignty and control grows. It gains momentum until it's punctuated by a sudden dramatic turn of events and a surprise ending. So rather than unpacking one verse or several verses from this narrative, I want to take what we commonly call the view from 30,000 feet. I want to look at the story as a whole and pull out some of the key principles that will help you remain confident in the Lord when God appears to be silent, when his hand isn't seen, and when he's working in the shadows. And to launch us into that, I want to read a verse from the latter part of the book that shows the outcome that awaits those who put their trust in God. It's an obvious understatement if you know the story. It's Esther 9, verse 22, and it says, It was a month which was turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday. Today our focus has got to be God in the shadows. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, in these coming moments by your Spirit, Empower me to preach and teach your truth. Empower us to understand it and apply it so that we might honor your name in the world you created and more effectively draw people to faith in you. And as always, we pray this with confidence because we pray it in the name above every name. We pray it in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen and amen. And as we study God's living, life-transforming word together, may the Lord be with you. Everybody loves a good underdog story. 
That's why the football movie Rudy gets so much play. We like stories about survival or success in the face of seemingly insurmountable odds. The most compelling underdog stories tend to have two things in common. They may have a clear villain, but they always have a hero or a heroine. And secondly, the best underdog stories are ones in which the darkest hour, the moment when everything appears to be lost, comes just minutes before a dramatic, unanticipated turn of events changes everything. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought of it this way, but the Bible is a collection of underdog stories. It's a collection of people, stories, when those people were facing seemingly insurmountable odds. Abraham, Joseph, Moses, David, underdogs all, Hannah, Naomi, Ruth, Mary, underdogs. But I think if we were going to rate the underdog stories of Scripture, and we like to top ten everything, we'd all have to agree that the top underdog story of the Scripture would have to be the resurrection. Because to all but the eyes of faith, and even to them for a season, Jesus was the consummate underdog. One lone Jewish carpenter battling the might of imperial Rome, the malignancy of a corrupt religious system, the malice of demonic forces, the momentum of century-old evil, the immaculate, unblemished track record of death, and the misguided notions of the people who loved him and followed him. When Jesus was crucified, it looked like the exclamation point to his defeat. The man who had threatened the status quo was dead. The demons danced. The corrupt politicians and religious leaders breathed a sigh of relief, and the hopeful returned to despair. And then everything changed in a dramatic turnaround, just as quickly as you can say, resurrection. And just like Haman in the story of Esther, Satan and his coalition of evil had overlooked one very important fact. When they were dealing with Jesus, they weren't just dealing with a man. God was in the shadows, unseen, but very, very much in control. And the story of Esther reminds us that that wasn't anything new. Things like that had been occurring in God's activities with the Jewish people and with his church for a long time. The truth is, even though we don't much care for it, God often works in the shadows. Unseen and undetected, both by the unbelieving and the faithful. And that's why following him requires faith. Faith is defined in the book of Hebrews as the conviction of things unseen. The book of Esther reminds us sometimes it's God that's unseen. We can't see his hand. We can't discern his presence. Faith is the conviction that God is somewhere in the shadows. And I say Esther affirms that because it's one of only two books in the Word of God where God is never mentioned. Ahasuerus, a pagan king, is mentioned 175 times. God isn't mentioned once 
in this book. But if you read the story, and if you read it through the lenses of faith and discernment, you quickly come to the realization that the main character in the story is not the pompous king who loved the sound of his own voice. The main character is the king of kings who was willing to stand off stage unseen without one single speaking line in the drama. And all of that was intentional. It was meant to remind us that God is still in control when his voice isn't heard. Will you say that with me? Read it with me. God is still in control when his voice isn't heard. And that's a reminder that all of us need from time to time. Because the truth is, as much as we struggle to trust God when his voice is clear, our struggles really ratchet up when God is silent. Have you ever thought of it? I don't think you probably have, but God is fluent in silence. He speaks silence very well. We're not so good in silence. That's why we fill our lives with background noise and distractions, because silence makes us squirm. Being alone with our thoughts is not something we generally pursue. And because we're not fluid in silence, when God is speaking silence, we interpret him badly. We misinterpret him. We tend to fall into one or two, one of two equally dangerous errors. We interpret God's silence as a sign that we're unimportant and overlooked, that we don't matter. Or we interpret it as an indicator that we're very much recognized, but because of that, we're rejected. In other words, we interpret God's silence as indicating either his indifference toward us or his disgust with us. On the one hand, we act as if God is a big-picture CEO who snorts, I've got bigger things to deal with than you. And on the other hand, we act as if God is a petulant teenager who says, I'm mad right now and I'm not talking to you. We just don't interpret silence very well. But as the story of Esther affirms, God's silence doesn't indicate his absence or his disapproval. It simply indicates he's at work behind the scenes. Now that's something that Noah had learned many centuries earlier. He and his family were left to float on the ark, on the floodwaters that had covered the earth, for one full year without hearing anything from God. 365 days of the same scenery every day. Water horizon. 365 days without a word of assurance, without the reaffirmation of a promise, without any new directions. I like to refer to it as Noah's silent year. But in the midst of that silence, Noah didn't jump overboard and start swimming for the horizon, and he didn't jump to conclusions. 
He just held on to the promise he had been given before, and he followed the instructions he had been given before until God finally broke the silence, which he did. But Noah had it better than Esther and Mordecai. Noah had a promise to hold on to and a direction to hold on to. Esther and Mordecai faced the impending annihilation of their people and the loss of their own lives as Jews without any previous promises from God to fall back on and without any instructions from God to follow. The silence was deafening. The shadows were deep and dark. God hadn't even said so much as, hey, some tough stuff is coming, but trust me, I got this. That would have been something to hang their hopes on. They had nothing. And that's what makes their response so incredible and so informative and instructive for us. In the midst of silence, without promises, without directions, they fasted, they prayed, they acted in faith. And their testimony reminds us that faith ultimately rests in God's character more than his actions. His actions won't always make sense to you, but his heart will always be faithful. You'll not ever fully understand everything God does or how he goes about his business, but you can know his heart is good all the time and that all the time it's good. You won't always understand what he's up to, why he's permitted some trial, why he's silent, why he's in the shadows. But it may just be he's wanting to teach you to trust his heart, not just his promises, not just his track record, not just the last instruction you received, but his heart. There is a lyric from a Christian song that says, when you cannot see his hand, trust his heart. And that's exactly what Esther and Mordecai did. Facing silence, unanswered questions, and a whole host of what-ifs, they made the choice to trust God's heart. And in the midst of that, they learned a valuable faith lesson. They learned that trouble may temporarily hide God's presence, but it won't permanently hinder his plans. When God is hiding his presence, that doesn't hinder his plans. He's at work even when you and I don't see evidence of it. At the end of this story, as Esther and Mordecai looked in the rearview mirror of faith, they could see the fingerprints of God all across the events that had transpired. And they learned that the best laid plans of men will always give way to the best laid plans of God. But it didn't stop there. They also learned firsthand that a big God often uses little people to accomplish his purposes. And that's good news because we are all little people. There are really only two kinds of people in the world, little people who know they're little people and little people who think they're big people. <laughs> but as we stand before God, we're all little people. But God uses little people to do big things. King Ahasuerus clearly thought he was the lead actor in all of this drama as it was unfolding. He's better known to history and to fans of the movie 300 as Xerxes. And at the time of the story, his power was unrivaled. 
He was literally the top dog in the top empire. He was considered to be a god, and he was worshipped. His word was law. When he spoke, he was making law. And in his mind, his hand was determining and writing history. But he was wrong. Given historical hindsight, given spiritual insight, we now know that the starring roles in this drama fell to two very unlikely candidates, two displaced Jewish cousins. They were the descendants of parents who had been exiled, conquered and exiled to Babylon a century earlier. The younger, a female, was an orphan and had been raised by the older, Mordecai. That's why you often found him in the text hanging out by the king's gate. He was there to make sure the young woman he had raised, who now was queen, was being properly treated. Esther had been given a Persian name, because Esther is not a Hebrew name. Esther is a Persian name. And the Persians always renamed Jewish exiles. It was part of a concerted effort to do three things, to destroy the exile's sense of identity, to suffocate their hopes of ever being politically liberated, and to remind them Persia controlled their future. They had no say in matters. Now, her Persian name, Esther, was likely related to the Persian name Ishtar, and that was a Babylonian idol, a Babylonian god. Now, think of how offensive it must have been for a daughter of Abraham and a daughter of the living God to be named after a Babylonian idol. Daniel and his friends went through the same thing when you read that story. Yet in an empire where they had been exiled and renamed and subjugated, in an empire of approximately 50 million people, in an empire governed by the most powerful political figure of his day, Esther and Mordecai were going to be the stars of the story. Now, nobody could have seen that coming except for God. And he not only saw it coming, he paved the way for it. You see, God sets the foundations for our success long before we face our challenges. I like to remind you there are some things you'll never hear God say. Here's one of them. Oh, my. I didn't see that coming. What do we do now? Angels, help me here. What do we do now? I thought I had planned for everything. Uh, oh, this one stumped me. I, I don't know what we're going to do. No, you'll never hear God say that. See, here's the reality. When you run into some challenge... That challenge is unexpected to you. That's a surprise for you. God saw that coming a long time ago, and he's already been preparing you for success in the midst of it. It's new to you. It's not new to him. But the thing is, God does that preparation quietly in the shadows without announcement. Years earlier, he had placed Mordecai where Mordecai could overhear several courtiers planning to take the life of the king. Now, you think Mordecai was there by accident? God put him there so that he could hear it, 
so that he could report it to the king so that the king would owe him a big, big favor. But you know, if I were Mordecai, I would have felt a little bummed in the aftermath of saving the king's life because we know now he wasn't immediately rewarded. He saved the king's life, but he wasn't honored, he wasn't promoted. Nothing happened. But if you read the story, you realize it's because God was saving his recognition for a far more strategic moment. If he had been recognized immediately, would have been a blessing to him and to the story. By being recognized later, it contributed to the salvation of an entire nation of people. See, and that ought to remind us that the rewards of faithfulness are sometimes delayed, but they are never, never denied. See, one of the barriers to trusting God is the knowledge, well, I trusted God in the past and I never saw the reward of it. If you've honored God by acting in faith, God always rewards faith. But sometimes he holds the reward for later. Why? Because it will have more impact later. God's allowing your reward to accrue spiritual compounded interest before he leads you to cash it in. God rewards faithfulness, but he doesn't do it by 5 p.m. every Friday. He doesn't do it at the end of every month. He doesn't do it just before you have to file your taxes. But he always rewards faithfulness. So, here's God, knowing what was coming, positioning Mordecai for credibility and favor. And at the same time, he's positioning Esther for position and favor against enormous odds. When Xerxes wanted to choose a new queen because the old queen had angered him, he had approximately 25 million women to choose from. You talk about choice overload. 25 million women. And he could have picked any of them. And somehow Esther makes the 400 cut. And then the 100. And then the 50. And then the 10. And maybe then is when they had them all cup on stage and say, what would you do to help world peace, you know? <laughs> Only to have one of them say, I never was very good at math, you know. But out of all those women, Esther is selected. Do you think that was on the basis of beauty alone? Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. No, no, God magnetized Xerxes' heart to the one woman God had selected for a strategic purpose. God gave her favor in the sight of the ruler. Esther ended up in the spotlight precisely because God was working in the shadows. Had nothing to do with Esther. Had everything to do with God. And it wasn't a coincidence. It was a divine incident. But I want you to note something. God's care doesn't guarantee an easy road. It guarantees a blessed outcome. See, we're tempted to doubt God's caring for us when things get tough. No, no. If God's caring for you, things will often be tough. Because while God's care changes you and it changes outcomes, there's something it doesn't change. 
it doesn't change your opposition. The enemies of faith will always be the enemies of faith. And God's care doesn't guarantee an easy road because it doesn't remove all of our uncertainty. Esther and Mordecai didn't know the outcome of the story beforehand. They were left to walk through many moments of life or death tension. The possibility of their annihilation dogged their steps, denied their sleep, dogged their steps, denied their sleep, but they kept going. And sometimes that's what we have to do. Sleepless, concerned, anxious, but we keep on going. Now, I want to wrap up with one final observation, one that will hopefully help you to hang in and hang on until God emerges from the shadows. When God's at work in the shadows, He often gives hints of His presence that sustain our hope. If you've got to keep going, you need air in your tires. Hope is the air in your tires. But if you're going to sustain your hope, you need an occasional hint that God's up to something. Now, the selection of Esther as a queen was one example. Why in heaven's name would God have Esther promoted to queen just to have her executed a bit later? What would God possibly gain by doing that? And does that sound like God to you? And what about Mordecai? Why in heaven's name would God have Mordecai put in a place where the king owed him a favor and where he would later be honored when Haman's plot turned against him, why would God place Mordecai in a position like that just to have him executed a little bit later? God doesn't do things like that. So all along, God was dropping hints. You can't see me. I haven't said anything, but I'm at work. I got this. I got this. Something I learned to do a long time ago, when God's silent, when God's in the shadows, when I'm having a difficulty understanding why something's going on, why something looks like it looks, why we're encountering something, I often say, God, let me see one of your hints. I know they're there. I can hang a whole lot of hope on just one hint. And if you pray that prayer, you know what you'll discover? God doesn't rush out and give you a hint you'll discover he's been giving you hints all along. You were just oblivious to them. And you only need to see one or two. You can hang a lot of hope on one good hint from God. So let's wrap it up. I like to think of the story of Esther and Mordecai as the story of two faithful people living in the until. Until the plan of God became clear until the hand of God was seen, until the sovereignty of God carried the day. All of us have to live in until moments. The old evangelist Vance Havner reminded us that all believers today are living in the great until, until Jesus returns. But we all have our own individual untils. Times when we have to say, Lord, I'm just going to trust you until I see. I'm just going to trust you until I hear. Right now, you're in the shadows. Right now, you're silent. But I trust your heart, and I'm going to hold on until I see your hand. 
And when you're in one of those until moments, remember, they may happen to us more than we would like, but they will never happen to you more than you will need. Because what God permits, He permits for your benefit. So in those moments, the takeaway from this story is simple. When you cannot see His hand because He's working in the shadows, trust His heart. Because the Scripture says there is no shadow of turning with His heart. He may be in the shadows working, but there's no shadow of turning with his heart. You just focus on his heart. And when everything in you says God wouldn't do something like that, shout amen and hold on to your hope. Because just like the story of Esther and Mordecai, once God's plan kicks into the last chapter, stuff starts popping starts popping and suddenly, whoa, everything has been reversed. Haman built a gallows for Mordecai and ended up being hung on it himself. And, and, and this is an extra. has nothing to do with my theme. But if I were going to preach a second message on this book, I'd preach on hatred. And I'd make the point that when you allow hatred in your heart, what you're doing is you're building a gallows for other people upon which you yourself will ultimately hang. Hatred is like taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. And that's what Haman did. But Esther and Mordecai, when all looked bleak, they knew God was in the shadows. Say it with me. God was in the shadows. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, you're often in the shadows for so many reasons. We know you want us to trust your character, not just your promises. But Lord, I'm convinced you often work in the shadows because if you were working in the light, we'd try to help you. And we wouldn't understand what you're doing and we'd make a horrific mess. So sometimes, Lord, you work in the shadows despite our protests to protect us from ourselves and our proclivity to try to make our own solutions. But Lord, whatever the reason, when you're working in the shadows, when we haven't heard a word from you, help us to trust your heart. And while we may not see the solution by 5 p.m. on Friday, we will see the solution. And when it unfolds, it's got to happen so quickly, and we'll be left with a testimony. Lord, this story reminds us that we can't have a testimony without the first four letters, T-E-S-T, -E test. When you test us with your shadow work, help us to pass. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.